LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Dr. Ronnie Floyd. A couple of things you need to know uh, about Ronnie. You probably already uh, recognize his name. He has been, well, there's so many things that you've done over the years, but more recently you have made a a really significant transition from being a senior pastor to coming to the executive board to lead uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. And just uh, talk a little bit about that and what that transition uh, has been and any other things you'd want to tell us about yourself before we get started. Sure. Well, thank you, Todd. It's great to be with you. Appreciate all that you do. Well, I was the senior pastor of Cross Church, which is in Northwest Arkansas, um, for 32 and a half years, originally from Texas. Uh, I have one wife, thank God, and um, I have two boys who obviously have grown up, and uh, they've married well, living for the Lord, and we have seven grandchildren. So... 32 years ago, the Lord called me to Northwest Arkansas from the state of Texas. And when that occurred, I had no idea that I would be somewhere that long. But the region just exploded over the course of time. It's the power base of Walmart, J.B. Hunt, Tyson Foods, and the University of Arkansas, along with about 14 to 1,600 companies who have presence in Northwest Arkansas for the purpose of servicing the Walmart account alone. Uh, it's just a mega, uh, a mega company, obviously. And um, really, so much about what I've learned about leadership, Todd, I've learned right there from what I learned as pastor of that church. Uh, because I went there as a young, young man and just had finished my doctorate at seminary and the Lord called me there. Just recently, this whole new transition occurred. I had no idea it would occur, but as you well know, and any of your Southern Baptist friends would know, there are, you know, there were five entities that became open at the Southern Baptist Convention and we only have uh, really... 11 plus the executive committee, but most of refer as an entity also. So out of, out of 12, 40% of those were all of a sudden vacant at the same time, which is historic, uh, obviously. And uh, the Lord started doing some things. And one of these really wanting to go after uh, what they felt was God's direction and, and will for uh, their life as as a group, and that was the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee has the purpose, uh, ultimately, is that we are the executive, uh, the the fiducial and fiduciary and fiscal um, entity of the Southern Baptist Convention. That is our role. Uh, we also promote the cooperative program, which is the the fund that literally. Uh, takes the gospel to the world uh, from the from the local regions to the state uh, to all of the nation and across the world and so we do that and we do a lot of other things obviously uh, when the Southern Maps Convention is not in session which is only two days a year that they are in session 
then we act on behalf of the Southern Baptist Convention the rest of the year. And so we have 86 members from across the country that comprise what is called the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. And we have a staff that is uh, relatively small because just like as any nonprofit, you don't want your your office like ours to be loaded down with overhead. So, you know, our staff is relatively small um, in number, um, but uh, really grateful for the opportunity. And the Lord just called me, Todd. I mean, I, that's all I can say. I, I really am here for that one reason. I mean, my wife and I have, our whole lives have changed. Everything we have in our life is new except each other. We've had each other for 42 years uh, as, as husband and wife. And so God has given us, uh, you know, a great, uh, a great comfort in that and a great, uh, a great hope for the future. Um, and we're transitioning fully. Um, and uh, the Lord is really blessed and I'm very, very grateful. So, uh, before we do get into the five questions, talk a little bit about, you know, you and I had a chance to talk uh, briefly before we got on the air about uh, succession. Succession planning mm -hmm. is something that is just a hot topic right now. Um, Absolutely. Across, you know, denominational lines and network lines and tribes or whatever you want to say. Everybody is thinking about how do we transition to uh, the generations to come, uh, mm. the leadership of our, our churches and and the other large nonprofits and kind of fill in the blank. But especially when we think of churches, what was your uh, transition like and how did mm. you bring that plan together and, and how did that happen and what was the scope of time? Just give us a little bit of an insight. I don't want to completely derail our conversation, but we sure. want to take advantage of, of something that you have just done more recently. It's, it's fairly fresh, you know, in the last yes, year. So, right. So want to get your insight on that. Yeah. My first day here at the executive committee in a full-time way was May the 20th, um, obviously in 2019. And so I haven't been here very long, a little over a hundred days at the time that we're, that we are, um, uh, having this uh, podcast discussion for the future. And with this, Todd, um, probably a decade ago, I started really start thinking about this privately in my own heart, my own mind about succession. Uh, about five years ago, I started really letting it, you know, uh, move in because the church was exploding. We had four campuses, uh, $21 million budget, um, a lot of stuff going on across church planning and global missions. Uh, you know, we give large, a large sum of money through the cooperative program, uh, over $1.3 million plus a whole lot of other stuff we do around the mission side. And so it really became apparent to me that I needed to start really having some intentional uh, move toward transition. And so I began talking to my board of directors about that, who are the key men in our church who, who helped navigate through uh, matters with me uh, for a few years at uh, Cross Church. And uh, no less than two years ago, 
I went to them, um, or, or just over two years ago, I went to them. And when I went to them, I told them, I said, listen, you know, this thing is big. It's complex. Um, and we need to start talking about succession. I, I don't know if we have our successor here on the staff. I don't know what the future may hold about who that needs to be. But if I died, you know, we have a big question. What's going to happen? If something happens to me suddenly, um, or I just flippantly said, or, you know, if I stay here long enough that I retire one day, which I thought that would be the the case, um, or, you know, guys, I mean, I'm, this isn't going to happen, but in case I'm even called away, um, and they laughed and I laughed and, and, uh, they said, well, your, your successor is already sitting here. And I said, no, I said, I don't, I don't know about all. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, we've already, we've already talked. We think the successor is your son, Dr. Nick Floyd, who at that time was 33 years of age. And, um, and I said, well, I'm not here to talk about that today. I'm just telling you, we need to, we need to, uh, to really uh, start thinking this way because we don't ever know what the Lord has. And they said, well, listen, we're not ready to talk about all that either, but we appreciate you talking and bringing this up because it needs to be talked about. And we're very comfortable with the conversation, which they are. I mean, one of these men was the, was the president and CEO of Tyson Corporation. Uh, so, uh, so the bottom line is succession is talked about in, our, in that region constantly because of those large corporations. And so they welcomed it. It wasn't a fresh conversation. They, thought, they saw that as being due diligence on my part, that I love the church enough to prepare and, uh, and to have a lot of young men around me through the years, and a lot of them have gone out through our ministry that they could have called back as well if they would wanted to. Um, so right. you about a, a solid preaching, uh, or a pastor school there. As absolutely. Well. Yeah, that's right. We have a cross church school of ministry that we have, we started, I think six years ago. And, um, and we just have had a team of people through for, for my whole entire 30 plus years there of guys. And, and so about a year ago, I, I went to them and I said, listen, we need to, it, what, what, we need to decide how we're going to handle this. I said, I just really feel like it's important that we try to move to this. And we had had several conversations in between that. And so formally a year ago, they determined that if something happened to me, uh, this was unknowing to the church, uh, but Nick, uh, would become the senior pastor of the church. Nick had never done anything to disqualify himself, forfeit himself as a teenager growing up there, as a child growing up there. Uh, he's very winsome, uh, great teacher. The Lord had put him in our Fayetteville campus, which was about five minutes from the University of Arkansas. And he preached there the vast majority of Sundays. Uh, in fact, probably uh, 80% of the Sundays in a year, he would preach at that campus. And the campus exploded. In fact, um, you know, there would be Sundays that they had over 3,000. Uh, there would be Wednesday nights that he and the campus pastor, excuse me, he and the university pastor and or one of them would, would preach to 800 to uh, 1,100 college students. 
the Lord was blessing that campus immeasurably. And that God used to put in the hearts of those men, God's hand is on Nick, and he understands the DNA of the church. We love the DNA. We love the mission. We believe he's God's anointed. And and uh, so while they didn't make that vote formal, um, they made that decision. And uh, so when I started going through this, really back in November or December, I brought them along. I think it was December. I told them, I said, listen, uh, I'm, I've interviewed once and these people want to meet with me again. It probably won't happen until late January or February. But I just want you to know that um, this is going on. And of course, they were shocked. I was shocked. Um, and I said, I don't think they're going to call me and I don't think that's where I'm going to end up. But I just want you all to know this is going on. It's more of an integrity thing. Long story short, um, God calls me to Nashville, Tennessee uh, to uh, do this ministry leadership position uh, in the SBC and beyond. And um, God called my son there. And so really, uh, on the Sunday after I made my announcement of the resignation, and I brought the church along a week before I came uh, here or, or to the meeting that where I was called, um, we were already ready the Sunday afterwards to tell the church, uh, two weeks from now, we want you to or next week come back because we want you, it was really two weeks because Easter was there. Two weeks from now, you come back and we're going to tell you who we believe is the successor for our church. And so that Sunday they came back and at that time it was revealed. Two weeks later, the church voted on that. And uh, when they voted on that, then the Lord uh, proved to be uh, more than sovereign. And the last service there, which was May the 19th, the church never went without a pastor. Um, I handed it over to uh, my son, Nick Floyd, 36 years of age now, and or 35, about to be 36. And, and he is the new senior pastor of Cross Church in Northwest Arkansas. Good deal. All right. I just wanted people to, to kind of get that uh, background story, just because when you hear, we know things like this come up, and uh, when you're going through it, you're always looking for stories. And then mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be a pastor out there that hears this story that is going to be moved by it and say, you know what, I need to go ahead and have this conversation too. Mm -hmm. uh, and the difference, I think, one of the, the, the most amazing things in this process is you had the luxury mm -hmm. of having uh, people there that were part of your leadership that were also really strong business leaders and sure. the way that it's handled in the business world is often different than it's handled in the church world. So if I, you know, am sitting down with, uh, with a church and walking through pipeline and, uh, the subject of succession comes up and they talk about a succession plan, usually that's a one or two page document in uh, a random filing cabinet somewhere, just in case somebody asks them if they have a succession plan. Hmm. Uh, usually that is like, what are we going to do in the first 24 to 48 hours after, you know, our senior pastor suddenly uh, passes away? It's more of an emergency uh, kind of succession plan that's put into place versus something more like this that is um, developed over time and implemented over time. Or 
even if it's implemented quickly, uh, the plan is developed over time and the person is developed for that position. So mm. just wanted that to, I just wanted our listeners to kind of hear that process and make sure that they kind of benefit from what you've recently gone through. Um, so now I'll ask you our first question, and that is, uh, who are you presently learning from? I'm learning from everybody in the entire Southern Baptist Convention. How's that? Uh, that's a few. <laughs> that's a few million people. And yeah, but you know what? I'm in a real learning mode, Todd. I mean, bottom line is, I ask questions a lot. I always have, but I, that's who I'm learning from. You know, I'm I'm having a lot of conversations. And uh, I've been very involved in the Southern Baptist Convention for years and years. I've had, I've, I've done so many things. I won't go through that or have been a part of that ever since I was a, you know, young guy. And, uh, and so with that, uh, you know, the only thing I had, uh, I had not done is really ever worked in this capacity. Uh, that's a different, you know, that's a different thing as you well know. And, yeah. um, but I'm learning because the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention serves all Southern Baptists. It connects me with, 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 uh, thousands and thousands of pastors and leaders, uh, lay people, as well as every state convention, associational leaders, uh, the major entity leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I am, and it also connects me again to the outside world of evangelicalism. And of course, I've, I've been invited well, in that world is uh, along when I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention, when I was involved in certain things of preaching across the country uh, in various settings way before that and even during that. And then I was president of the National Day of Prayer for uh, two years, um, of which I am no longer because I resigned that when I accepted this position here with the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. So I'm learning, man. I am a, a total teachable brother. And, uh, and I'm grateful for every moment and everything I've learned. Um, I've known, so I'm, of course, a former executive pastor, and uh, I have known two of your executive pastors. And mm. um, Drew Tucker just mm. talks about uh, <laughs> just trying to keep up with you. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's funny. I always walked away with. And Drew's got gas in the tank. He's diesel. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I can't imagine uh, you in learning mode. That would be mm. that would be uh, a, a, a real thing to, to be a part of and watch. Any, are there any <laughs> well, thank you. That you're um, taking a look at right now or, uh, any other you know, I, I peruse I peruse some along the way. I do a lot of uh, obviously um, quick reads in relationship to. Uh, matters that I am sent. Uh, the most recent uh, book I've read was given to me by a member of the exec committee in relationship to the game of football about uh, all Americans. And I think is the name of the book and this more of a, a chronicle of the history of football. I'm a, I'm a fanatic football fan of all uh, ways. And so we're uh, in all things and all in, in all uh, divisions and all those matters of categories. And so you know, I mean, that's that that was a encouraging book because it got me outside of my uh, out of, outside of my realm. But the bottom line is uh, I'm a chronic reader of the Bible. I read through the Bible at least once a year. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've done that for over 30 years. And so I'm very grateful for how the word of God 
always, um, you know, pours into my life every day. And I'm very, very grateful for it. So what's your main point of emphasis as, you know, you're, you're coming into the new role with SBC? Um, what's your main point of emphasis with your team right now? I know you're, you're forming, you've got mm-hmm. a mixture of old team members and new team right. members. Correct. What's your main point of emphasis right now with that team? I think the main thing is getting us on mission together. When an organization is in charge of uh, matters relating to the executive matters, legal matters, financial matters, all which are important and all are highly imperative to be done with the highest due diligence as possible. Um, But the threat always is, is that policy becomes the driving force rather than mission. And I made it real clear when um, I interviewed with the committee uh, who was tasked with the role of finding uh, the next leader for the SBC Executive Committee. Um, I made it real clear with them, made it clear to the trustees who uh, voted me in as president before I came that I would lead uh, the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee um, by mission and not by policy. And that mission driving force to me would always be that, 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 that desire to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person in the world and to make disciples of all the nations. Uh, that, that passion and desire to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or as I've recently started even saying it this way, that, the, that our vision is to reach every person for Jesus Christ in every town, every city, every state, and every nation. And that in the, in the heartbeat uh, is what I'm trying to get everybody to thinking toward and letting that drive us uh, more than anything else. Uh, because, I mean, really, we're here to service a, a convention of churches that are on mission. Isn't that right, Todd? And if we don't help them get on mission, then, um, then obviously we're not really helping. And so we need to personify that and do that even ourselves. I love that. Uh, I love, uh, you know, the fact that you're looking at those policies. You know, you always hear the, the, the quote, culture eat strategy for breakfast. Um, Absolutely. But I would say, well, your policies, actually the policies, the systems, the, the things that you currently have that exist that may have at one time been right in alignment with your purpose may not be now. So policies will eat strategy for breakfast unless they're in alignment with your purpose. And we know That's correct. what our purpose is. It mm. is the Great Commission. It is disciples making, disciples making disciples. And so, mm. um, uh, you know, it, that must be audited. Um, Absolutely. Every day. The, the strongest things that I appreciate um, about my heritage, I did grow up in a, a Southern Baptist church, was the fact that it was the good and godly people mm. that were, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, ordinary people, ordinary people mm-hmm. are what made, uh, made me who I am. And if, even if you talk to, to pastors, it wasn't, uh, usually another pastor, it was ordinary people of our churches. And the only way those ordinary people in our churches were able to do that were the systems and processes and, even some of the programs that we had in place mm-hmm. 60, 70 years ago. And in many ways, 
um, we've drifted from that with the church growth movement and Mm -hmm. we traded our maps for menus. And I love, uh, I love the thought of not saying, Hey, we're going to go back to the old ways that, that we did it. But the reason why we did it shouldn't, shouldn't change. Maybe the way it's delivered, maybe the way that, um, we go about it. I know we're not going to have, you know, training union on Sunday nights anymore. That's not going to come back again, but the basic discipleship and development, that was the core of that. And the way that it, took people through uh, a distinct uh, process that made sure that it was in alignment with that ultimate purpose of uh, discipleship, somebody coming to know Christ and discipling mm-hmm. basic things and, and moving them along. Um, we don't have time and our people mm-hmm. don't have time. So that's right. Uh, I uh, applaud. Uh, I applaud where you're, where you're going, sir. Well, you know, Todd, the thing is, is that, um, you quoting uh, that great quote about strategy uh, gets eaten for breakfast every day and how true that is, um, uh, whether it's by policies or by um, the whole culture issue. But the culture is often um, so harmful for local churches, um, even within our own Southern Baptist Convention. That's something I've been really addressing uh, everywhere I go. Because I think we need to see a culture that is transforming uh, in our uh, convention of churches. We oftentimes want to be simply keep our eyes on that ultimate goal, which that should be our goal. But the things that I've really forwarded big time, and I'm, I'm really doing this everywhere, and that is living and breathing gospel urgency, empowering all churches and all generations, all ethnicities and all languages. We're here to tell and celebrate what God is doing. And we need a good baptism in loving others like Jesus loves. And when you have all that, then, Todd, we can prioritize, elevate, and, and accelerate generosity. And, um, and that's where we cooperate together. But those things have got to be tied together. Unity is a powerful force that only the Holy Spirit creates. And we need to do the right thing in the right way so we can do together what ultimately God wants us to do, which is what we stated earlier about the Great Commission. Okay, I'm going to move us to our uh, to our third question. And uh, that is other than the spiritual disciplines, which I mean, you know, you've you've written books on spiritual disciplines, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. numerous books on spiritual disciplines. I know how to pray. Um, actually is, uh, has a 20th edition that's just coming out. Um, but other than the spiritual disciplines, what's one or two things that you have to do every day to stay sharp as a, as a leader? Mm, Boy, great. That's a great question. Well, the spiritual disciplines you cannot ignore. And, um, uh, I, I want to address those, um, per your question, but I, I do believe that uh, one of the disciplines I've created uh, for my life, uh, and it's being threatened every day doing this job uh, because I'm in a new moment and a new time, and, and it really is taking care of myself in relationship to, to exercise and fitness. And um, while that is uh, being challenged a little bit every now and then, it's still a high and big commitment to my life. Um, 
I will take up to an hour a day, five or six days a week to do that. And so, because when I do that, Todd, that really helps me uh, clear my thoughts. It helps me do various things at the same time, like listen to podcasts like yours and like my friend Jonathan Howe does and so many others that I listen to. And so with that, I, I really believe that 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 has been one of the things that has kept me fresh, um, sharp, uh, kept me where I'm trying my very best to uh, to be ready for God. Whatever God wants me to do, I'm ready um, because I want to be a ready soldier for Christ. And uh, and so that's one of the the disciplines that I I implement uh, deeply. And I think another discipline that I follow really, and I really am, I really do this is that is that I really do live being teachable. Um, I've made that a real uh, priority for my life uh, because I don't know everything and I want to be surrounded by people that know more than me, uh, even though I want to try to be at least at their level as much as I can, but I'll learn from them. And if I can know more than a few of them, that's okay. But I want people that can also take me up and people that I can take up. And so I learn from the value of others uh, what they have in gift mix, what they have to bring to the team, to the table. And um, and yes, I've learned a little extra because I'm in the mode that I'm in right now. But anyone who's ever worked with me uh, will tell you, even your friend Drew Tucker and others, um, I'm a guy that I'm a teachable guy. I want to learn. I don't do everything right. But I want to I want to be right with the Lord. I want to be right with people. And I want to be a great leader. And maybe one day I can be a great leader and really make a difference in my life. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages when learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. And that's why the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway, and ERLC partner together to create Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum consists of a handbook, 13 uh, enhanced video sessions that brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling a variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or in your ministry. You can access these videos and this training and this book all for free at churchcares.com. Uh, I, for the sake of time, for the sake of your time and uh, our listeners, I want to move us, uh, go ahead and move us to the fourth question, which is, what does leadership in your home look like? And how has that transitioned over the years? So we have the the luxury of, of talking to someone who, you know, led through a, a, a time of rapid church growth to um, seeing you know, his son take over that church to seeing, uh, to, to now coming into move from working in the church to working on the church. Um, so what's that look like along the way, uh, in your home? Well, you know, if you lose your, your, your family, um, on the altar of ministry success, uh, that's a high price that God would never want you, uh, to pay. 
And I made a decision years ago that I would never sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry success. And I think that's why we were blessed to have two boys that uh, today live for Christ. Uh, They've never been strayed from Christ. Uh, I have one who just took over our church, as you stated. The other one is a football coach in a very large high school in Birmingham area of Alabama. Uh, who won several state championships when he was in Arkansas and moved to Alabama on us and took three of our grandchildren away from us um, uh, about five years ago. But of course, now I'm closer to him than I am to my other grands, um, to my other son with four children and his wife. And so, uh, you know, we're now in that stage of where it's just Gina and I. Uh, but while our kids are growing up, we prayed with the children every day. We didn't do a devotion every day, but we prayed with the children every day. And then we would teach by life lessons uh, as God opened that door. Um, Gene and I, we pray every day together. That's the last thing we do at night together in relationship to that. We, we enjoy being together through the years. I have prioritized uh, a day away. Um, just for family, just for for that, uh, because if you can't and won't, it, it really uh, backfires on you long term. So, really, quite honestly, uh, since 1985, um, I've I've taken off uh, every Friday to be with my wife, and that would be rare that I didn't uh, until I came to this job. And this job now. Uh, requires me because uh, Friday is a work day here. We do it from wherever we are in the country and we do it from our homes. Um, And every now and then we come to the office on Friday, but that's not really uh, the goal because of the commute of Nashville, as you well know, is big anytime you come downtown. And uh, that could be an hour away or it could be 30 minutes away. Um, and that 30 minutes can become an hour by the 15 minutes that you allow of when you come or when you go home. So it's a, it's a, it's a crazy life and all that. And, uh, but our home is totally different today, obviously. And Gina's transitioning in this and doing quite well. Um, you know, we're, we're still searching for a church home, but I'm preaching away so long, so much, uh, that while she doesn't go with me every week on the road, she visits churches here and I have visited churches here with her and, you know, but I'm on a, I'm on a streak right now of long-term preaching for a while. Uh, but that'd be, that'd meet a great need when the Lord leads us in the right, in all that path. And so we're learning together. We're growing together. And uh, boy, God's really stretching both of us right now in a brand new way. So good. All right. If you can go back uh, and tell your 20-year-old self about leadership, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self about uh, preparing to lead and Mm. leadership really is? Wow. Yeah, that's always an interesting question and appreciate the question. Um, I think I would tell... Uh, Ronnie Floyd, my 20-year-old self, um, uh, about preparing to lead, I would, I would tell him, um, continue to go forward starting your day with God because I was already starting my day with God and don't quit, and I have not um, all of these years. Started that discipline when I was uh, really in, um, I think, my senior high year of high school. Um, 
And um, so I would tell him that I would tell I would tell him establish the right priorities going into uh, your life and your ministry. Um, while while um, I've had them overall, because now I've been through a lot, uh, the right priorities. Um, probably in my early self, in my 20s to maybe 30, 32, 33, um, you know, my priorities probably weren't always right um, in relationship. To, I had to learn how to navigate through those things. Uh, they weren't bad. Uh, they just probably weren't always right. And I would, I would really, I would always challenge my 20-year-old self, Ronnie, try to evaluate your heart. What is your motive? Um, what does God really, uh, want to say to you? Um, slow down long enough. Um, learn from other leaders, slow down long enough and walk through the crowd. Don't be so task oriented that, uh, you're getting to the next thing and pay attention to every person one at a time. And, uh, because I've been through this now, Todd, after a long uh, life in local church ministry and after leaving 32 years of the same church, I've learned this about, uh, about, about pastoring and about leading. And so I would tell my 30-year-old self, my 20-year-old self that you want me to talk to, I would tell me, Ronnie, life is about relationships. Ministry is about relationships. So spend time with people and never Never, never uh, not make that an important part of your life and ministry. And I would also tell me, I would say, Ronnie, life is about uh, about moments. Moments that you're there for people when nobody else is. Moments when you're speaking forth the word of God in their life, and maybe they have really needed it. Even while you didn't think maybe you delivered the goods, you were faithful. And the one thing I've learned in all this, Todd, is that I saw the last few weeks of my ministry in, my, in that local church, the cumulative power of influence and leadership over the course of time. Faithfulness should be treated as one of our highest commodities because through the test of time, God reveals the human heart and God does things in your life and God uses you in ways beyond your imagination when you're living in that moment. And so those are the things I would tell my 20 year old self. That's good. Good. Well, uh, one of the things that I've always appreciated uh, about you over the years is your commitment to two major things, uh, evangelism and prayer. And uh, any, any time, uh, any book or any, I don't know, anything comes out on prayer, uh, I always immediately think of you because you've always called people back toward that. So why mm -hmm. is, this is my last question for you, and this is, you know, one unplanned, um, but why, why is prayer so important to you and what fruit have you seen from it? Well, thank you um, for the privilege again to be on the podcast today. I would, I would say this to answer that question. Um, when I was a freshman in uh, a Christian college 
in the state of Texas. I was at a gathering one night with just me and a young, another young preacher, along with uh, an older man of God, a pastor. And he spent time with us. And the final question I asked him, uh, it was late one night uh, at a restaurant. And I asked him, I said, listen, if you could tell me anything that would help me to be the man God wants me to be, what would you tell me? And he looked at me and he said, Ronnie, if you will learn to spend the first hour of your day with God, there is no telling what God will do with you. And you know, Todd, I just had a lot of zeal, a lot of passion. Um, and I just started doing that in my life. And all these years, that's been a solid practice. And that's why I write on prayer. I believe it. I've seen, I've seen God use it in my life in extraordinary ways. And uh, so that's why uh, I've written about prayer, about prayer and fasting. I've done a lot of things about walking with God, what it means to, to be what God wants you to be. And uh, the most recent book on prayer that was released uh, is called How to Pray, which is the uh, 20th anniversary of the book that I originally written 20 years ago. But they came to me and wanted to do a 20th edition of it, a 20-year edition of it, because uh, at the present time, I was, uh, at that moment, I was the president of the National Day of Prayer, and they wanted to to uh, to do it. Um, and so they said, hey, Ron, I don't think you have to re rewrite too much. Well, you know how that is, Todd? <laughs> I mean, I, I rewrote 90% plus of the book, threw out 90% of it, plus added four chapters. And, uh, you know, any 20-year-old anything appears to be old if you don't clean up the illustrations and rethink where you are today versus then. And you know what? God's grown me, and I'm very thankful for it. And that is how I've developed the commitment to pray. Oh, so good. Well, thank you so much for uh, being our guest today. And listeners, thank you so much for uh, listening to our podcast. Uh, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review.